This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 265 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Uh, the Bruins defeated the New Jersey Devils 3-0 at the TD Garden a few nights ago. Um, but this is going to be in part a mailbag episode, but before we get into all that, let's get to Bridget and Scott's opening shifts. Yeah, I'll start just running through some injury updates from Wednesday's practice. Uh, Linus Allmark, Brandon Carlo, Matt Patra, and Derek Forbert were all on the ice practicing in full, wearing regular jerseys. Trent Frederick was not on the ice for practice. Um, afterwards, Jim Montgomery said, Allmark's back. They're not sure if he's going to start Thursday against Colorado or back up, but he's he's available. He'll be on the active roster. They already sent Brandon Bussey back down to Providence. Uh, Patra and Carlo, Montgomery said they'll have to see how they feel on Thursday. Sounds like they're close, but maybe they still need another game. Uh, Forbert will not be back Thursday. He's not yet an option. He's still kind of ramping up from this injury that was, uh, you know, really lasted longer term than, uh, than I think anyone initially anticipated, including Forbert himself. We did get to talk to him after practice a little and, you know, and he basically just said like, he's just tried to stay positive, kept trying to work through it. Um, feels like he's getting close, felt pretty good out there. So uh, and then on Frederick, Montgomery didn't say exactly what it was, but he said it was precautionary and they think he'll be fine. So doesn't sound like there's anything to worry too much about there. But yeah, the overarching story is that the, the Bruins are getting healthier. They can. So Brandon Carlo is on regular injured reserve. They can activate him. No problem. They don't have to make any other moves. When the time comes to activate Forbert, they will have to send at least one guy down and possibly two to make the cap gymnastics work. So there will be a, a decision coming up whenever that time comes. Yeah. With Forbert, he said he had multiple setbacks, yeah. which, um, and that he's had to build back like brick by brick, essentially to getting back healthy. And it's been frustrating. And, um, you know, he doesn't usually give us much, but he, he did say, he did give us that detail that it's, it's been, Basically, the the new the, the current approach is to just go back really slowly because otherwise setbacks could happen again. So taking it really carefully, um, being very cautious with Forbert. The thing about Patra, he wasn't on any of the four regular lines in practice today. So I wonder if that kind of tells us that he's probably out another game. Um, and like you mentioned, Bussy gets sent down uh, right now. Bofus still up in the lineup. Um, so if we're talking about down the road, a coinciding sent, like getting someone sent down to Providence to go with Forbert coming back to the active roster, I don't know if it's going to be Boquist. Um, we'll get more into that, I guess, when, yeah. and one, one thing I'll just note on Boquist, he is also two games away from needing to go through waivers again. So that could also factor into this. Yeah, but then that means if that means they can't call him up the rest of the year if they're trying to avoid that. Right? No. Uh like well, yeah, it, it depends if he clears or, or not, obviously. But um yeah, either either you send him down because you're you're worried about losing him on waiver, so you send him down before he gets there, and then you're right, then you'd run into the same issue if you call him up. Yeah. Or if you put him on waivers and he clears, then that resets the clock on all of it and you can call him up no problem again. Which would still make it like basically not, it wouldn't matter when you sent him back down then. Cause you'd, you'd pretty much be, <laughs> you either have to have decided you don't want him back up at all, or you're, you're going to have to whisk waivers at waivers at some point or keep him on the roster. Um, yeah. So. And on, on the one other thing I would note on waivers is Parker Wotherspoon would need waivers again already. And I don't think he's going anywhere. Cause I think if, if he got put on waivers, I think he would probably get claimed. Yeah. Yeah, no. And and Steen too would have to get uh go through waivers again now, right? 
Yeah. So, so pretty much anyone you send down, you're you're gonna have to go through the waiver system, except for Mason Lorai or Johnny yeah, Beecher. Because yeah, because of their um, rookie contracts. So, um, yeah, I guess that kind of makes them easier options, which is weird because Beecher's been on the team the whole season. It would be a bit odd for like to think about him going down, but at the same time, he's been healthy, scratched a few times recently. And I don't see it as like a 0% chance that that could happen. Like that, that could genuinely happen if Bolquist, um keeps playing well, they don't want to risk it or they don't want to risk setting someone else down. Sometimes that's the easiest option. Um, but yeah, I think that was all I was going to say about the injuries. Um, and my opening shift has to do with the comments Jeremy Swayman made after the devil's game. Uh, so we got an extended chance to talk to him. He was, he was talking to the media for quite a bit. Um, Scott, I know you asked him to clarify, not clarify, but just like followed up on the question, uh, about that. He answered about the all-star being an all-star and how it vindicated him in arbitration and, and that kind of thing. He had a much more polished answer when asked the second time, just like it happened. And I learned from it, it was pretty much the main message that he had. But Scott, you had to try and someone else as well, followed up on your question and he's gave pretty much the same answer. Um, but I think the comments that most people were paying closer attention to after the devil's game was when he said, cause he's played five games in a row now um, as the starter. And it was when he said, I want them to know that. And I want everyone to know that I want the net every night. And some people are taking that as um, you know, is the, is the happy couple uh, not so happy right now? Like, is, is there some sort of fracture in the friendship? Is it, like, is it Swayman saying for my next contract, I want to be guaranteed that I'm like the number one starter. So uh, I don't know what you guys thought of that. We can get to that now or later because we do want to save some time for um, our our questions that we got in the mailbag. Well, I mean, I definitely think that their their friendship and their their relationship is definitely unique. Um, and it's unique because it's not very often – especially at the professional level where somebody you're in direct competition with for playing time, um, in particular, the goaltending position, you're just so hunky, hunky dory. And like, let me tell you about my best friend. It's like, well, you know, you, you could be on the bench if your best friend outplays you. Um, and that's why their, their dynamic is, is so unique. I guess the question is, does it ever get to a point where, yeah, maybe, maybe it does get, I, I think they, I mean, look, Swayman, it goes over Omar's house for his kids to, to, you know, go on his lap when he dresses up as Santa Claus. So, I mean, clearly they're really good friends, but I do think they both tell you like they want the net. Um, I don't know if that's going to lead to friction off the ice. I think it's just the reality of the situation that they're in. Yeah. yeah I, I don't think, I don't think their friendship has changed at all. I don't think. No, because he also has tra- changed it at all. I, I think, this this is why it's so unique and why it works though is that they they are great friends but they also keep pushing each other like they push each other harder than anyone else pushes them and i think that's clearly elevated both of them uh over now multiple seasons that said yeah like i think swayman to me what swayman what i interpreted swayman saying wasn't like I want to start every game and I don't want Linus here anymore. Like, I don't think that's what he, what he was saying. I think it was, I want to show people that I can handle this if I need, if I'm called upon to handle it. And whether that's, Hey, you can count on me if, if Linus is out or he struggles or whatever, or you can count on me to start a playoff series and run with a series. Like, I also think that's part of it because as we've talked about before, he hasn't had that chance yet. He has not started game one of a playoff series yet. So, um, you know, I, I do think that's important to him. And I think that kind of does tie back to the arbitration hearing where I'm sure part of the argument that was used against him was, hey, you've only ever split time. You've never been the true number one. You haven't won a playoff series. Like, even though that's not really his fault because he just haven't, hasn't had the chance, I think it, it is important to him to be able to show and convince people that I can do this. Like, even though I haven't really had the chance, I can handle it. And he, and to the, to the point of the friendship, he also, at some point during that, the, 
uh, not press conference, but media availability said, um, I'm sure Linus will be back in no time. He's a Swedish Viking. Um, he's, he's got, he's like, uh, basically also hyping him up at the same time. He's like, I'm coming for you. Um, but that's just kind of what they're, what, what they do to each other. And it, it is harder for other people to wrap their head around because I, I don't know about you, but if anyone was coming for my job, I probably wouldn't be their friend. So it's just the nature of, of how people naturally respond to things like, uh, competition, uh, very differently, I guess, than this one, this in particular is different than probably how Scott would react if he found out I was trying to take his job. <laughs> you can have it if you. <laughs> I, I know how I much you hate waking up at six a.m. every day. So good luck. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. You know what time I wake up. Um, I definitely have a question I want to circle back on regarding this topic, but I do. There is a there is a mailbag question regarding the goaltending, so I'll just save it for then. Um, okay. So my opening shift before, before Scott, before Bridget and before the listeners roll their eyes, I just want to preface this with me saying, I think there is 0.0001% chance that this happens. However, uh, it's a Boston Bruins topic that was brought up. We are a Boston Bruins podcast and look, this is supposed to be friendly banter. It's not all just, you know, who's who's scoring who's not let's have some fun chit chat okay so on spit and chicklets uh spit and chicklets ryan whitney and paul paul bissonette who are very tied in with the nhl as we know i mean literally they have connections up and down the sport whether it's in media players coach like management like everybody is friends with with these two and they have a ton of connections and they have they have been um they have been credible sources in the past on certain stories so I actually saw this on, on Twitter. I didn't even see this on the actual episode of the podcast. I don't know what episode of the podcast it was, but, but basically Ryan Whitney was talking about how he's hearing rumors that Patrice Bergeron could be making a comeback because it is rumored that he is skating in some local rinks around the Boston area. Um, no footage of these skates. So nobody can really tell if he's like working hard to like, you know, get the rust off his game or if he's just staying in shape for his alumni duties with the Bruins. Um, I'm just going to leave it there and let you guys maybe run with it. I'm only bringing it up because we have to bring it up. They're they're talking about it and they're credible. And it's like, I don't think it's happening obviously for a million reasons, but I'm just going to bring it up and let you guys run with it. Right. I mean, it's the most popular hockey podcast in the world talking about it and it's guys with Boston connections. So, you know, Ryan Whitney, especially. So um, yeah, it is worth discussing. I, I'm with you that I, I don't think it's happening. I would be very surprised. That said, I, I don't 100% dismiss it. And I'll even Brian, I'll go slightly higher than your percent and give it, give it a full 1% chance. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, to me, Patrice Bergeron seems like a player who, when he decides he's done, he's done. That that said, like, we kind of live in an age now where it's like, eh, is anyone ever really truly done? Like, Tom Brady retires for a month and comes back. Gronk takes a year off, comes back. David Krejci goes abroad for a year and comes back. Like, it's not totally unheard of, and... If you're Patrice Bergeron and last year was this this last dance type season where all year long you think you have, you know, your last great chance to win a, another cup and then it all falls apart, you're you get injured late in the season, your team gets knocked down the first round like just like worst case scenario of how such a great year could have ended. That obviously leaves a bad taste. If he's sitting there watching this year's team thinking, hey, you know what? The, this team's still pretty darn good. And maybe I feel really good. And maybe I see where I can plug in and help this team. Like, that's not totally insane to me. Um, I think it's highly, highly unlikely. But you like you could see, I could see where the appeal from Bergeron's side would be. And if he's interested, then obviously the the appeal to the Bruins is very obvious. 
Yeah. Like in my mind, if I'm hearing Patrice Bergeron is skating and like he's in, all right, I play tennis to keep in shape. Am I going to go play Wimbledon this year? No, I'm not. Um, Like you can skate because that's how you like to keep in shape and you enjoy skating and you enjoy hockey. It doesn't mean you have to go out and, and, you know, join an NHL team. So um, if it's true that he's out there doing that, in my opinion, it's just a, a good way to, to keep fit. <laughs> and, and also like, you can't completely like, you didn't think Patrice was going to completely get rid of hockey from his life without even putting skates on ever again. So uh, to me, that's more what I would take out of seeing him skating. Um, but it, it, like Scott said, maybe there's this chance if Zaka goes down or like, it, or, you know, God forbid. I, I don't someone- think it would. Re- yeah, I don't even think it would like require someone going down. I think it's, you know, we know the Bruins need help up front. And if Bergeron sees like a real chance to win a cup, I, I could see the appeal. I just don't think it's like. Well, there. how many times this season have we said they're a top six forward short? Yeah. Well, <laughs> so there's one right there, but I, I just I will, don't think I will say though, Bridget, I mean, if you, if you were playing tennis and you were, and you had less than, you know, 12 months ago, won a professional award as the best two-way tennis player at your position. And you are a tennis hall of famer and you're less than a calendar year removed. Um, there's a little smoke where there's fire. Now, are you trying to tell me I should go play Wimbledon this year? I'm just saying follow your dreams, okay? <laughs> I'm just telling you to I'm just telling you to follow your dreams. That's all are, I'm saying. Are you are you better on grass, clay, hardcore? <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with grass. We, we, yeah. we sports. Um, so, okay. So, okay. So what's, what Scott said is true. Like it would be no different than like, okay, just because he retired and we all know that let's just pretend he didn't retire and maybe he was just on the shelf with an off season surgery or something and was coming back mid season or yeah, like a little bit of gamesmanship. Like you've seen with Tom Brady and Gronkowski and Krejci, as Scott mentioned, um, and there's, I'm sure there's other examples of like a player just kind of like coming back on a little hint, hint, wink, wink. Um, Mario Lemieux, Michael Jordan, like yeah, yeah, exactly. Roger there's, Clemens did it like three times. The list goes on, absolutely. Um, I think Roger Clemens had some help, but you know that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think some of the reasons why he wouldn't come back would be potentially the same reasons why he retired in the first place, which is maybe his body just feels like it's not where it needs to be. And he doesn't want his body to be um, uh, tested that way anymore. Maybe he wants to keep spending time with his family and and whatnot. Um, And also I could see him not wanting to step on the toes of Marshan's captainship um, or captaincy, whatever word it is. Um, There's, there's a mailbag question about, about, an NHL captain in their role for molding a team. Um, I could see Bergeron out of respect for Martian, not wanting to overshadow him um, and coming in, coming back in as like that captain figure. Um, and, you know, do you he, think Marshawn would care? I, I, it's, it's not even so much about that. It's would Bergeron even want that to be a story? Like, would he even want that possibility to be out there? Like, um, and, and I don't, I'm sure. I, I don't know. I, I'm sure Marshan wouldn't be totally, upset with it but i'm sure a little part of it might be like i don't know i i don't think he would be only because they are so close that you know if there were two guys who were maybe like a little more distant or like not quite best friends maybe that friction surfaces a little but i mean in their case they are like legitimately best friends they still talk all the time you know away from the rink um their families are close all that so like, I, I don't think it would be that much of an issue. And it's worth noting here that Marshand himself has joked, uh, I'm, I'm saying joked, but maybe not, multiple times this season about trying to convince Bergeron to come back. So, you, you know, it's like yeah. you, can't really, you can't really joke about something and then, like, be upset if it actually happens. Yeah, I don't even, again, upset's not even so much the word. It just could be there could just be a different dynamic in the locker room this year with Marshan's voice as the as the voice. It, it just I don't think it would be an issue, but there could be something to there. And Bergeron just might not want to step on his toes. Um, and then uh, uh, similar, uh, I don't know if Bergeron will want to. He's looking at what Charlie Coyle's doing and stepping up, and he's seeing what like other players. He might not want to come in just from a development standpoint and 
and and knock these guys back down well, after what they've done. But they've already put Zaka to wing on a few occasions, and he's kind of been playing there for a while. So like Zaka, he's not really stepping on Zaka's toes to send him over to the to the wing on on another line. So I don't think it disrupts Coil um, really at all. But it it would probably mean Zaka wasn't coming back to center. Um, or I mean, or maybe it, it pushes your center depth back to to something really good. But I kind of feel yeah. like it'd be more of a Zaka to wing situation. I'm um, I'm more so thinking like I'm with you guys. Like like I mean, it's Patrice Bergeron. Like if he if he's if he's playing and and he comes back and he's feeling good, obviously. I, I'm more so coming. I'm pretending like in my mind if I'm Bergeron, like and I'm at my dinner table contemplating coming back. These are probably things that I'm thinking of just from from a from a uh, human perspective. Um, but it's 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 definitely I I, I said point zero 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 one percent, but I've actually the, the crazier things have happened. I'm really I I probably could convince myself to call it like a five percent chance. Honestly, it's not that crazy. It really isn't. Um, it's just kind of like the optics, right? Like you've gone through this retirement uh, um, perception during the hundredth season. You like you've kind of embraced that alumni role. You're in the alumni team. It's like, it's, it's hard to picture him playing at warrior with, with Adam McQuaid and Kevin Miller against, you know, Brighton fire department. And then, you know, joining, joining up on the Bruins again and playing for a Stanley cup in the same year. It's, it's, it's hard to vision or visualize. It would mean a complete like 180 in terms of how he's been talking about his retirement and the reasons he gave in why he wanted to step away. Like he said that he's been happier than ever. Um, like a way, like it, it's weird when he, when he watches the team, but also he's just, he, he seems at peace with it. And he said he's at peace with it. So that would mean he, at some point just like woke up feeling completely different. Um, which I guess people do. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you do also hear from players who retire and like that, that itch lingers, you know, like, yeah, you have, you go through that period where your body says, okay, you're done. Then you have six months off or whatever, and suddenly your body feels pretty good. And maybe when he gets out there on the ice some of those days, whether he's doing hard drills or just kind of cru- cruising around, you think, hey, I, I feel pretty good. Hey, that back issue I had last year, not really feeling that. My back's been feeling good. And, and all of a sudden it's like, could I play? do I actually feel good enough to play? Like plenty of players have, have gone through that. And with some guys, it, you know, you retire and like, that's never an option. Your body just never feels good enough again, but there are plenty of guys where like who go through that kind of like a period of indecision where you start to second guess your, your call. So um, yeah, it's not, I don't know. Again, I, I don't think it's going to happen, but it, it was certainly a, a fun thing to discuss. It just kind of popped up out of nowhere um, from, from the spin chicklets crew. Yeah. Well, we said at the end of last season, like if he doesn't want to retire, he still has gas in the tank. So that's not really the question. Like, I, I don't think that that that's really the question. Like he's, if his back injury is healed and he's kept himself up in shape, he's still an NHL caliber player. So, um, and the Bruins would be, more than happy to uh, bring him in and uh, have a conversation with him about that and solve, solve one of their biggest problems, which would be uh, adding a top six forward. Well, if they, if they, if this did happen uh, financially, how would they have to make this work? Yeah. I mean, uh, it would certainly have to be for like a minimal amount of money. Uh, and the Bruins would probably have to probably have to move some salary out somewhere would be my guess. Um, what exactly that looks like, I don't know. And it, you know, it all depends on like if it's a prorated one million dollar contract, then you're not, you don't have to move around too much money to to find a way to make that fit. Um, it could even just be like you know waving a couple guys, but uh, yeah, I haven't gone too deep into exactly how that would work, but um obviously Bergeron would be aware of their cap situation and would know like this is very little money, even close to like a league minimum type thing because he's over 35, you could build in bonuses again. Um, 
and with the cap going up and all the cap space the Bruins have next summer, which, you know, we're going to get into some of that in the mailbag too. Um, that like bonus overage, if he gets those bonuses, wouldn't hurt as much, which, you know, again, it's worth reminding people who, you know, in, in case anyone's forgotten, like the Bruins are playing four and a half million dollars short this season because that's how much they had carry over in bonuses from Bergeron and Krejci last year. Bridget, how much battery do you have in your laptop right now? Half. <laughs> okay. That that that's a that's a telltale sign to get into this mailbag. So why don't we why don't we start um, with Tampa Tim and Tim mentions how he's been listening to us since episode forty two. Um, we obviously very much appreciate that. Um, he says to us, "What is the impact?" So again, stemming from the conversation we were just having, what is the impact of a captain on an NHL team, and specifically? How is Marshan's captaincy shaping the current makeup and play of this year's team? Um, he goes on to talk about, well, I'll just read it. Uh, also, I've been impressed mostly with Marshan controlling himself almost every game after getting mugged by players, t- taking liberties with him. I figured the refs would be a little more aware of penalties against the captain, but maybe the refs have their own beef with 63. I'm sure there's a bit of homerism in the second part, but am I wrong? Um, we've actually talked about that in the past. Uh, the refs really... <laughs> Sometimes in these behind the B episodes, you'll you'll hear a mic'd up ref say, "Hey, congrats on being the captain." But then, like, clearly, it doesn't really make much of a difference. Um, but the original question: the impact of a captain on an NHL team, and and how Marshan is uh, shaping up the current uh, room this year. Yeah, I, I would say the biggest impact of a captain is sort of setting the the culture in the locker room and bringing everyone together. Um, you know, team bonding type things like that. That's the most important part is, is getting everyone on the same page, working in the same direction, uh, not having guys feel like they're being left behind or not heard or like they're not really part of the group or anything like that. And that Martian has certainly had great mentors in that respect in Bergeron and Chara. And that's part of, this reputation that, you know, the Bruins culture that you always hear so much about, that's really where it starts is that everyone feels welcomed from day one. They, there's no rookie hazing. They don't even do rookie laps. If you're on the team, even if you're just in training camp, you're part of the team and you are treated that way from the get-go. Free agents who come in, captain's usually going to be the first one to talk to them. In fact, that was one of the first sort of tip-offs that perhaps Bergeron wasn't returning over the summer was when some of the free agents like uh, Shattenkirk and Lucic said that the first guy they talked to was Marchand. I was like, oh, okay, because that was always Bergeron who was the first guy the free agents talked to. Um, so those are some of the elements. And then on the day-to-day stuff, it's just like it's checking in with guys. It's being the communicator between the coach and the players and, you know, letting Montgomery and the coaching staff know, Hey, I think we need this today. I think we need to focus on this or this player is dealing with this and then communicating back of, Hey guys, we're doing this. And here's why the coaches um, are having us do this. So those, I would say their main jobs of the captain. Yeah, I mean, I, I I completely agree with you, Scott. Bridget, anything to add to that question? Uh, just to, I mean, he answered the like the role part in terms of the you know the leading on the ice. I think Marshawn he hit a little bit of a slump, but he he's rebounded and he's brought the intensity and um, yeah, he's not getting the call still. We know that. Uh, I wouldn't have expected him to. Uh, he's been around the league too long and, and had so many things go go on with him and the refs that it's not surprising to me that uh, putting a C on his jersey didn't really help him out that much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and also, so how, how Marshan's captaincy is shaping up the current makeup and play of this year's team. I mean, again, Scott kind of alluded to it, but just like Marshan learned from leaders in the past, Chara, Bergeron, um, and countless others that never wore the C like Mark Recchi and others. Um, so I would just say th- this, this 
this Bruins team, similar to other Bruins teams in the past, most Bruins teams in the past under this regime, um, like you're not you're not gonna maybe once in a while, but you're not gonna really like, you're seldom gonna outwork them. They're certainly not gonna give up on, on a game. Like, yeah, a game might look like it's getting away from them and on the scoreboard as well, but it's not because like they're just packing packing their bags for the night. Like, there's a lot of pride. Um, in the Bruins room always has been and Marshand certainly uh, makes sure that, that that is still the case. And, and beyond Marshand McAvoy and Pasternak will, will do the same as well. So it's just, it's just the continuation of their culture that Marshand is um, allowing to, to continue. Um, and, and he enforces it for sure. Um, okay. So Scott says uh, not, not Scott McLaughlin. Although it could have been Scott McLaughlin. I don't, I don't know the last name. It just says He's Scott. He's been emailing himself this whole year. <laughs> I, got, I got a lot of questions. <laughs> um, okay, Scott emailed us and said, it's obvious the team will look to make some adjustments via the trade market this year and will probably look for someone to fill the leadership slash grit role that Milan Lucic was scripted for. Is there any way Lucic can find his way back into the lineup this season? And what date would be would he need to be re-rostered? If not Lucic, are there any younger under 30 guys around the league that might be a good fit for the Bees this spring and beyond? Well, so on the Lucic front, worth noting that this is actually a, a notable week because his pre-trial hearing is scheduled for this Friday, January 19th. So there could potentially be some news, at least on the front of like, what's next in this legal process after that. Um, I don't, and I don't see Lucic returning, even if the le legal situation is uh, taken care of and, and settled. Um, I, my guess, just my gut feeling that no sources or, or reporting on this is that he's been in that, the player assistance program since all this started and I would bet he probably just stays there through the end of the season. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that the Bruins really want to go through the whole process of trying to bring him back or dealing with that. And I think Lucic, because of the respect that he has for the Bruins, I don't think he'd try to really force the issue of like, Hey guys, I'm you know my legal situation's done. I'm ready to play again and put the Bruins on the spot like that. Like I think he'll he'll work with them to kind of do whatever's needed. And if if the organizational decision is like we just don't want to deal with this this year, I think Lucic would understand and and just stay away. Yeah, I mean technically I don't the the like re re rostering like he's never. He's never been off the roster. Like he's he's still his stuff is still like his nameplate and everything's still in the locker room. Um, he's still on the team. They haven't kicked him off or anything like that. So like technically, yes, he could come back, but it just doesn't seem like that would be good for anything. Like optically, that and like rewarding a guy who clearly has done something very wrong. Um I just, I don't, I think they learned from last season too about adding a, like a controversial person into your lineup um, when they had the Mitchell Miller fallout and that they reversed that very quickly. Um, this seems like another situation where if they were like, yeah, let's bring Lucic back, it would be met with immediate backlash and probably need to be reversed. And I think they know that. So um, I don't see him coming back. So should we hit the second part of the question, which was, I believe uh asking what so, someone that you could add that would bring the kind of grit that Lucic brings but under the age of 30 right yeah i mean looking at looking at the nhl standings it'd probably be somebody on a on a losing team right now um you know it's difficult because the league is, has changed so much you just don't really the the players of Lucic's caliber um it, they're few and far between so i mean I don't know, like a, a a guy that's kind of bounced around from team to team. Right now he's in Ottawa um, in your division. Again, he's not a great hockey player by any means, but if you put him in a fourth-line role, he's not making a lot of money. Um, 
mixes things up and you know what, what doesn't get pushed around would be a guy like Zach McEwen. He's 27 years old. I don't know how I haven't watched him much as a player, honestly, besides against the Bruins and knowing what kind of player he is. Scott, he might be a analytics nightmare. Uh, he probably is. I don't know. But um, if we're talking about somebody who kind of brings like what Lucic brings, which at this point in Lucic's, Lucic's career wouldn't be offense. He wouldn't be the power forward he was in the day. He would just be a fourth line tough guy. So if you're looking for a fourth line tough guy, I mean, somebody like a Zach McEwen would maybe be, a, I don't know. I'd have to look at, look at more rosters around the league that are kind of dwindling in their standings. Yeah, well, this this is where it gets tough because it's like, are you, Milan Lucic was not here to just be an enforcer or, you know, a part-time player. Like they had a relatively consistent role for him in mind. So if you're, if you're looking to add that, like someone who's going to be an everyday player who, yes, brings some physicality, yes, can drop the gloves, but can also play some hockey and like not, you know, drag a line down, that's harder to find because to Brian's point, there, there A, aren't a lot of those guys in the league in general anymore, and B, there aren't a lot who are going to be good enough to play on a what you hope is a cup contender, which like – Zach McEwen, it's it's a good name to pull, but he's not playing. He's not a good enough to play on a cup contender. He would not be one of the Bruins' 12, or in my opinion, even like one of their 15 best forwards right now. So if you're bringing him in, to me, that's more of like a Jared Tenorti type thing where it's like, hey, there, there might be a few games here in the second half of the season where we feel the need to beef up and, and throw someone in there who, you know, we want to send a message and drop the gloves at someone. Like, you, you can get that guy real cheap. Like, that, that's not an issue. Oh, you could probably get Jared Tenorti. <laughs> he just fought again at, uh, for Chicago sure. the other day, actually. <laughs> yeah, he's, so, he's still in the league. He's played I mean, on everything like, so far. Yeah, so, like, you can find that kind of guy, and McEwen would, would fit that. Um, but if you're looking for someone who's actually going to be part of your top four lines on a consistent basis – that's harder and that becomes okay. Like, is that going to be a priority for you at the deadline or are you prioritizing a score? Because that's probably not going to be the same player. Yeah. And uh, so my thought to this too, is that the Bruins seem to have indicated they're moving away from trying to add a Lucci type player to that fourth line and that they might be going more with the skill speed fourth line and, and hoping that Lauco can be the guy that if you need him to fight, then maybe he will or Frederick, but we talked about this with Boquist. You you put you have a fourth line maybe with Boquist and Heinen on it. That's not a it's not a gritty fourth line. That's a roster that has uh you know maybe an extra scoring threat back there, um and some speed. Well, you you know what's you know what's interesting too is um like the whole Lucic fiasco is for, from from a from a hockey. St- well, from a personal standpoint, for all involved, certainly disappointing and unacceptable. But again, we're keeping it strictly to hockey on this podcast. Like from a hockey perspective, like he was an intriguing signing because he does have that leadership. He does have that experience and and enough pop offensively to be a, a good fourth liner. And, and, and I'm going to just, you know, it's worth mentioning that uh, Jacob Lauko in 31 games has three points. And Oscar Seen in 26 games has one point. Lucic had two points in four games. Like, you know, he, he's played four games and he's and he's still with the same like the same company for those guys. Like he, Lucic, what I guess what I'm trying to say is, had he been a fixture on this team, you know, through how many games have they played? 43. I'm sure he, he could be probably around you know 15 to 20 points by now. I'm sure he would have been. Um, and that would probably be good for like maybe maybe tenth or eleventh, twelfth in team in scoring. So, yeah, it's 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 disappointing from a hockey standpoint that that uh, it shaped out the way that it did for him um, and the team. Okay, so any further thoughts on that? No. Nope. Okay, so Sam has a question for the great Scott McLaughlin, and she says. Uh, Scott, a few weeks we know ago, Sam's a she or he. I don't. I thought I thought it was. I thought it, no. Was she? 
I don't know. Next email, maybe maybe let us know. I I, I, I thought I thought Sam in the past had, had reached out to us and, and we surmised that it was, but I don't know. Maybe not. Let's just go with right. Sam. Let's just go with Sam. Okay. Uh, Sam says, Scott, a few Sam, weeks ago. Sam, feel, feel free to clarify if you'd like. Yeah, no, no, please, no pressure. Please do, please do, Sam. Um, Scott, a few weeks ago when Potra came back from World Juniors, you mentioned on Twitter that the next decision the Bruins had to make was if they would allow him to hit the 40-game mark, which would count towards a full year of service. Can you ex please explain further? I'm so confused because I thought once he played 10 games for the Bs that it automatically meant he would be – a UFA in two years instead of three. How are the consequences of him playing 10 games versus 40 games different? I'll just stop there for now. Yeah. So the 10 game mark, what that did is it triggered the first year of his entry level contract, which is a three year contract. So that contract now runs through this season and two more. So it expires at, the end of the 25-26 season. The 40 games, what that does, as Sam correctly termed it, uh, is it counts towards a year of service when it comes to eventually working his way towards free agency, which would not be in two years. So even though his current contract expires in two years, there are still multiple years of team control after that, through restricted free agency. Um, for a player to be an unrestricted free agent, there's a, there's several different ways you can get there, but the most basic, for especially for a player like Padra, is seven years of service or turning 27 years old. So because Padra is currently 19, this counting as his first year of service, which is what happens if he gets to 40 games, means he. this would now be the first of those seven years that count towards eventually being an unrestricted free agent, uh, which for him would then kick in at age 26 versus if he stayed under 40 games, you would basically, the Bruins would basically have an extra year and he wouldn't hit unrestricted free agency until he's 27. Now that I've explained that, let me tell you why I don't even think this matters and why I would not worry about Patra getting to 40 games or the Bruins for some reason trying to avoid it. Because if Matt Patra continues to de develop the way that he has and is as good of a player as we all think he is or think he will be, he is going to be locked up on an extension long before he gets to unrestricted free agency long before he is 26 years old. So I just wouldn't really worry about that. Like core players don't get to that deadline. They sign extensions long before then. You see see that with Charlie McAvoy, with David Posternak, potentially with Jeremy Swayman coming up at some point. Um you don't you don't run the clock down on on core players, which is what I think most of us believe Padra will ultimately be. All right. Very well said, Scott. Bridget, anything to add there before we get to part two of Sam's question? No, I think you, I mean, that was kind of a nuts and bolts question there, Scott handled. All right. So I'm going to throw this to, to you, Bridget. And actually, this is a, this is a good question. I've actually wondered this myself at times. So it's not a dumb question, Sam. It's a great question. Um, so I'm going to change the wording here. Great question, but I'm asking it. There was a game recently where uh, there were like seven or eight broken sticks during the game. Can you explain why linesman refs don't pick up the broken sticks while play continues? I'm sure there's a rule against it, but isn't it dangerous for the players? Um, uh, I, I think I have the like the closest answer that I can that I can think of. And it's because um, it's not that there's a rule against it, right? But there's an order of what refs have to look at as important. And that falls well below what they're trying to, like what their job is trying to do, which is keep an eye on penalties, offside, uh, icing. Like this falls below them having to try to keep an eye on everything. And as we talked about when we had a little bit of a ref rant last week, sometimes the game happens really fast and, you know, you have to be able to pay attention to the game as well as 
somehow pick the stick up at the same time. If you think that you have an opportunity to do that, where it doesn't impede your ability to see the play, then you can pick it up. But a lot of times, obviously that's not the case. So, um, or, and if the stick is just down on the ice in the middle of play, you're obviously not weaving in between players to go grab it. So uh, there's a lot of times where it's not really easy or possible and the priority is just getting the call right and, and you know, doing the officiating job rather than picking the stick up. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Like, I can't really add anything to that. Um, on the topic of broken sticks, though, and I don't, I don't know if Sam was referring specifically to Monday's game or another one, but I found it interesting in Monday's game, uh, Nico Dawes, the devil's goalie, broke his stick, and two defensemen had a chance to give him their sticks and didn't. And I like, got this. I actually just got this. stranded without a stick. This is the new, I think I've mentioned this on a podcast before. This is the new way they want it to be handled. This is the new like coaching and like decision-making is that you don't give the goaltender a stick unless your goalie specifically is like, yeah, I know I need it. Like I want my defender. Most goalies would rather have their defender have a stick um, because they're more likely to be able to, to block a shot, reach, make a step, like take a step, take a puck away and defend in front of the net. Then the goalie trying to use a stick. That's just, it, it doesn't have a big paddle. Like you're not getting a goalie stick. You're, you're getting a defender stick that you're not really used to using. And it doesn't actually add that much. So the new thing that people are doing is they would rather have the defender, the the regular player, the skater, keep the stick. And in, in this case, I, I think you're, you're right. In this case, though, it's funny because both defenders then like went for a change like 10 seconds later and like, like play had moved out of the zone. So it wasn't like they were going to go all the way back, but it was just like, peace, Nico. See you. Good luck, bud. All right. Kim emailed us. She said, best guess for all of you as things stand right now, what players currently on the Bruins roster do you not see being on the team for the 24, 25 season through trades, UFA being kept in the minors, et cetera. Can I start? So there's one, there's, it. It, there's an obvious spot that I see they're going to lose one. Um, and that's on defense. So this probably will happen in the form of a trade. Um, but if, if, you know, if Sweeney decides to keep all his defensemen wants to keep that depth strong, you know, maybe they won't trade Grizzly, but there's a chance Grizzly is one of the it's not a huge contract, but it's one of the bigger contracts in terms of unrestricted free agents that the Bruins have on the books right now. And, you know, a lot of people would argue you don't want to lose him for nothing. So you might want to package him in a deal in case he leaves anyway. Um, like how Clifton left at the end of the season last year. But um, so there's that temptation to trade him and a three point, I think six or $7 million contract. Scott, correct me if I'm wrong um, at the deadline so that you don't, like lose him for nothing essentially, but there's also a pro to keeping him, which would be to keep the depth um, and to keep, you know, him who plays well with McAvoy and, and you can put him with Carlo, like to have that as an option. But either way, when he hits free agency, uh, I him, it's him and Shattenkirk on defense that are unrestricted free agents coming up this season. I feel like one of them is probably gone. And, and Derek Forbert. And Derek really? Forbert. Yeah. Technically. Yeah. Technically, it's funny. Cause when I pulled up the, the list, he doesn't show up there cause he's on IR right now, but yes, you're right. One of those three is probably not here come the start of next season. Yeah. So yeah, the Bruins have six players as of right now hitting unrestricted free agency. Bridget mentioned the three in defense, Grizzly, Shattenkirk, Forbert, and then up front, Jake DeBrus, James Van Riemsdyk, Danton Heinen, uh, restricted free agents, Jeremy Swayman obviously tops the list, but also Oscar Steen, Jesper Boquist, Parker Weatherspoon, and if you want to count Ian Mitchell down Providence. Um, I kind of, I actually see the most turnover coming on defense. I could honestly see them letting all three of those defensemen walk, Grizzlick, Shattenkirk, Forbert, and use it as an opportunity with the money to spend to kind of reconfigure what your third pairing looks like um because i i think they'd i i understand like this player might this ideal player might not exist but it's almost like they'd like to combine a little bit of all those guys like grizzly they like his mobility but obviously he is undersized and we've seen him break down 
late in seasons and in the playoffs. Forbert, they like his size, penalty killing, but probably wish he had a little more offense in his game. Shattenkirk, I think they like his veteran leadership, and he is playing better now, but we've heard it directly from Jim Montgomery. There's been times where he wasn't playing fast enough. So I could actually see a scenario where they let all of those guys go. You know, if there are players in free agency that they want to target and try to kind of reimagine what their back end looks like up front, I could actually see them keeping all of DeBrus Van Riemsdyk Heinen. I think Van Riemsdyk and Heinen could probably come back pretty cheap, one or two year deal. Van Riemsdyk probably owed a little bit of a raise over $1 million with the season he's had. I know we have another question for DeBrus, so I'll save my full thoughts on him for that, but I don't think he's in line for as big of a contract as we might've thought going into this season. Part two of Kim's question is Swayman and Allmark are obviously great friends, but based on Swayman's comments this week, I think he is done sharing the net and wants to be the main guy. Do you think that will be one of his demands in a new contract? Do you feel at this point that Allmark knows that if they sign Swayman, that he's gone through a trade in the offseason. So that leads into my answer to the original question. Um, just for the sake of hot takes, I'll say Allmark is not on this team in 24-25. Not necessarily for the reasons that are outlined in the second part of her question, not because Swayman demands it in a contract, not necessarily. Um, but he does have a modified uh, no-trade clause or or something like that. Um, next season it's a 15 team no trade list that he has so you know that's um yeah obviously so there's 15 teams so it's just over half the league that he'd be willing to go to um so it would have to be the right situation and it would be tough to finagle a lot would have to go right um for the bruins to want to move him if or move him successfully if they wanted to um but it's possible. And so for the sake of this question, um, I could see the Bruins wanting to to have that cap space. Um, and and yeah, maybe Allmark's not here next year. My answer to this question is that, uh, first of all, when you, when you talk about it being like a stipulation in his contract when he signs one, I, I just don't see that being a thing. Like, I don't think he, first of all, has the ability to like, do that uh, i I'm, I'm sure plenty of goalies in, in in around the league that are veterans have you know put that in but you can't make a team you can't make a decision for the team on what your backup goalie situation is like that is up to the team to decide how they want to handle that situation and also with the unique relationship i don't think you'd be like i want all mark to specifically play fewer games than me or i want him gone um because i think they would be pretty devastated if they weren't uh, around each other. So, um, it's to me, I, I don't think the contract w- could or would be like that. Um, and so if all Mark's not here, it's for different reasons. Uh, basically like, like Brian said. Yeah. It, Swayman has some leverage. He certainly does not have enough leverage to demand that he's, you know, the easy, clear number one starter, like to Bridges point that like, you just can't, you can't really write something like that into a contract. Um, Allmark, whether or not he gets moved, really depends on what Swayman's number comes in at. Because if you get Swayman for something around Allmark's salary, which is $5 million, or maybe a little more than that, having 10 or $10.5 million tied up in the goaltending position with the cap going up is not actually that crazy. Like You could probably make that work. If Swayman ends up at seven million, now you're talking about twelve million, and that gets a little dicier. And now you really have to consider your options and and understand that you know Allmark's going into the final year of his contract. So if you are ever going to get anything for him, then it would either have to be an in-season trade this year or an off-season trade this summer. I don't think he's going anywhere this season because they're clearly the biggest strength of the team is goaltending. So I don't think they're trading away from that. I don't know if they feel like Brandon Bussey is 100% ready right now. He has had a little bit of a down year in Providence. 
Um, and we didn't get to see him at all when he got called up. So we yeah. played all five games so far, and then now he's already back down. So yeah. So this summer, though, that certainly becomes a conversation, especially if Swayman's number gets pushed, you know, a little higher than maybe the the Bruins would be hoping to go. On this topic, we'll just jump down to Terry on Twitter who said, should Jim Montgomery go 50-50 with the goalies in the playoffs this time? And part two, what would be a fair contract for Swayman term and AEV? Um, We're going to have to start going rapid fire answers here because I'm on a 23% battery. So let's, let's hit it guys. Yeah. Scott, I mean, what's the, what's the contract? What should the contract look like? Bridget has a remarkable habit of forgetting her charger. Uh, I have left my charger ranks. in every rank in the country at this point. Uh, it's at Harvard currently. So it, if you if you found a computer charger at a rank somewhere around New England, there's a decent Fine. chance it's Bridget. Just send it back. Please let us know. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, I, I'm on the record as being for a goalie rotation in the playoffs this year. I think the Bruins are also much more open to it. As I've said all along, though, that's if both guys are playing really well down the stretch and you've been rotating goalies down the stretch. If it's a situation where, say, Swayman is outperforming Almard and starting three out of it every four games or something, then ride Swayman, then give him the series. Like, I'm, I just, my approach would just be go with whatever is working at the time that the playoffs start. And we've had this conversation so many, like, we, and we will again. I mean, we, we will, will again, again. Pro- probably like once, once or twice a month. Usually <laughs> um, it comes back up for whatever reason. So what about a fair contract for Swayman? So I was trying to look at some comparables and it's, it's interesting when you go through goalie salaries, like there's some true workhorses at the high end that are like eight and a half to like 10 and a half million. And then it's, there's almost like a drop where there's like no one between it's like six and eight and a half. It's weird. There's like this very top tier. And then there's like no second tier. And then there's a bunch of goalies in like the five to $6 million range. And I kind of think that's where Swayman might be because he has not had that number one workhorse load that those goalies up in the eight, nine, 10 million range have had. He has not won a Vezina like some of those guys have. He's not gone on a deep playoff run like some of those goalies have. So I I think he's going to be closer to I'm going to say 6 million maybe is where it ends up for 5 or 6 years. So just to keep it nice and round I'll say 5 years, 6 million dollars a year, 30 million total. Real real quick, um on on the the goalie platoon thing, if both goalies are playing really well, it's interesting cuz a lot of people want the Bruins to rotate and the Bruins would want to rotate. But I bet you if you gave Swayman and Allmark truth serum, they would not want to rotate. They'd probably both want the net for the playoffs. But um, anyway, um, I was I was laughing a minute ago, not because of you, Scott. I was looking at, at our mailbag, and um, Don's weenie on Twitter, I read his question, and at the very end he said, you can just call me Don if you want, LOL. So... <laughs> Not I'm gonna not happen. It's, not it's, gonna happen. Yeah, it's too great of a Twitter handle. Yeah, yeah. no. Sorry. Get out. Get out of here, Don. All right, Don's weenie. Is the <laughs> Bruins? It, I'm just kidding, Don. Is the Bruins penalty differential a concern? Thirtieth overall, way behind any other high end teams. Um, yeah. What do you guys think? Is that a concern? Yes, absolutely. They've taken way too many penalties this year, and they've talked about it. And you know, I think er- earlier in the season it felt like maybe a little bit of product of like bad luck or bad calls. And I, I feel like Montgomery even kind of alluded to that a couple of times, like, well, it just seems like we're not getting as many calls for us as against us. But when it continues now more than halfway through the season, no, it's, it's a you problem. Like I'm sorry. I would love to feed the Bruins conspiracy theorists out there and tell you the, the whole league's lined up against you. Guess what? They're not. You're you're one of the best markets for TV. The, the NHL loves when the Bruins are good. So uh, you it's and not Jack a conspiracy. Are, you it's and, you and Jack are going to have to fight over this one um, <laughs> on level nine because I think he would make a strong strong argument against you. Uh, like he is so convinced of this narrative that that they're getting. You know, <laughs> that, that it's 
it's because they're Boston that they're getting the penalties. I mean, I mean, the the NHL absolutely wants you know they they want the they want the expansion teams to do well for for growing the the league, but when it comes down to ratings, there's no there's no argument the NHL wants. You know, if they if they had it their way, they'd want the original six yeah. in the, every single yeah, year. Yeah, Boston-Toronto want... series would have made a lot of money last season. Yeah, but they want a Bruins-Rangers conference finals is what they Yes. Want. Yes. Um, now, Don also says maybe the refs hold back come playoff time, so it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I, I haven't – personally, I the officiating – the whistles don't go away in the playoffs nowadays like they used to. Um, it, Maybe maybe in a game seven situation they'll put them away or an overtime situation, but the 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 officiating is pretty tough um, playoffs and regular season. Uh, all right, so Matthew says question for the mailbag: How do you handle DeBrusque in a walk year, and what would be the deadline, not the actual trade deadline, to make a decision on DeBrusque? I mean, the actual deadline is July first when he would hit unrestricted free agency. I don't really think there is one before then, like. You know, you. I don't think you have to trade. You know, it's not like if oh, if we're not going to re-sign him, we have to trade him before the trade deadline so we get something for him. Like, no, you're trying to win a Stanley Cup. So if you if it helps you like think about this mentally, consider him a rental if you think um, you know you might lose him in the in the summer. But I, I think for the Bruins, like you can take this pretty much to the wire. And see see what he's looking for. Like maybe he is willing to take a little less because he knows he didn't produce this season the way he wanted to. Um, he has said he likes Boston and wants to remain a Bruin, which I know people don't really believe because previously he requested a trade. But if that's true, like maybe he wants to stay and he just wants to work something out. Or if he wants more than you're comfortable going to, then you can let him test the market and see what happens. Like it's not, it's not the end of the world, but yeah, that, that'd be my answer. The only real deadline is the actual deadline, which is July 1st. Yeah. I think, I think maybe she was, um, or Matt, I'm sorry. Matt was maybe alluding to like getting value while he's still an asset, like trading this year. But yeah, I mean, objectively you're right, Scott, but as far as like, yeah, I don't know. It's a, t- it's a tough situation. I, I don't think they're getting rid of him anyway this year, regardless. So it's it's kind of, a, I think it's a moot point. The only situation I would say where I would be okay with trading him, and we've talked about this, is you're getting a clear upgrade in return. Like you're, whether it's all in the same trade or two separate ones, you're moving him and his salary out so you can bring in a clear upgrade in your top six. Like if that happens, fine, all for it. But otherwise, like, you don't have to trade them just to try to get value. Right. Okay. Final question. Thank you to everybody who's asked so far. Liz says if Sweeney decides to wait, be. Wait. So I want to get to the most important thing that Liz said first, which was that she enjoyed my broadcast yesterday. I, well, of I course. Gonna, we're we're, we're going to get to that. We're going to get so to like, that. My laptop dies first, guys. <laughs> this is like a 10 minutes left. So. Like... <laughs> Okay. Uh, yes, she Bridget did a phenomenal job with the beanpot coverage, and will continue to do so. Um, I, I I most enjoyed your call of BU beating BC in a shootout. Yes. That was that was my favorite part. Yeah, I, I thought that might be your favorite part, and maybe we'll have another one of those uh, in the championship game uh, next Tuesday. Um. Okay, so I think Liz may have had a type. If if Sweeney decides to be a player, I, I would imagine she says if if Sweeney decides to trade a player at the trade deadline, can you see? No, no, no. I, I think I think she just means like be active at the trade deadline. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. Thank you. If Sweeney decides to be active at the trade deadline, can you see him dealing any of the rookies, Patra, Lori, Beecher, or AHL guys, Merkulov, Lysel, in a package deal to land a big name for the playoffs? I'm sure plenty of teams would jump at the chance. But do you see him gambling away the team's future to do this? Uh, I don't rule anything out, but I also don't. I certainly don't think he wants to do that. Uh, it's also worth noting that the Bruins are right up against the cap, and almost any significant addition is also going to have to involve money going out, and those are all small salaries, so. 
you're you're talking about someone else on the active roster probably has to go out as well. Um, you know, just to quickly con- touch on second part of her question, any chance when he leaves the roster as is to see what he has and then decide over the summer. Uh, I Here's what I think is going to happen at the deadline. I think it's going to be a relatively smaller deal. I don't think there's going to be a huge impact trade um, because of their cap situation, just because of the tough spot that they're in. Um, but I do think they'll try to do something because you have a team that's in first place right now. And you want to at least show the guys in that room that we're doing something. We believe in you and we are adding. Bridget, give us your final thoughts with your, your 6% left. Yeah, I'm I'm getting kicked here. Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. I wasn't even paying attention because I was trying to make sure my laptop didn't die. This is my final thoughts are I, pr- I probably um, shouldn't leave my laptop charger uh, at drinks anymore. Um, I need Ange to tell me, Bridget, do you have your laptop charger? Yeah, that's that's tough. That's tough. Hopefully there's an, a Best Buy near you. Um, I ordered something on Amazon. Like, oh, did you? Today. Yeah. Um, I think the last part was asking about um, Patrick, Carlo, and Forbert's injury time. Yeah, I think you got you 4%, guys, bro. Come on. You guys, I, well, I, I think you guys, well, hey, look, we can't. That's not our fault. You should don't forget right, your yeah. charger. I can I think, leave. Then. I can leave. I think we. Uh, I think we. I think you guys answered that though off the top. So I think we're. I think we're good. Um. All right. Now she's down to three percent, and we're gonna oh. drag this out till she's one percent, and then she's gone. <laughs> Scott. It. Scott. I hope. Uh, <laughs> I hope you can save this recording. Yeah, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> All right. Well, on behalf of Bridget, myself, and Scott. Yeah. If you you guys are actually listening to this episode, then we figured it out. So. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you very soon.